You are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement. The pastor God has put over your life or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Today's reading is from Exodus 19. That's the second book of the Bible written by Moses. Or you could follow along with me on the screen. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord came to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrate the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look and many of them perish. 
Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This is the word of the Lord. You pray with me. God, we thank you for your holy word. Thank you that it's alive and that it speaks to us this very morning. God, we thank you for our brother Joshua, that he is dedicated to read your word, to study your word, um, that it changes his heart, and that he's obedient, Lord, to teach it. God, I pray for his home group right now um, and his wife and his children. Lord, thank you for um, them being missionaries here in this city. God, I pray for each one of us now that this word would soften our heart, that we would know who you are um, this very morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it's, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to come and uh, deliver God's word to you this morning. Uh, we are grateful to be a part of Renaissance. Uh, it was a big move for our family to sell everything, uh, our house, and quit our jobs, and to move to Pittsburgh and to have Renaissance around us is such a blessing to our family, such an encouragement to us in the season. And I'm also very grateful to Pastor Rob. Uh, just this past week, he took two hours out of his week uh, to spend time with me and just to coach me in church planting, and uh, really and grateful for his investment in our life. And we're also grateful for the brothers and sisters of Renaissance who have uh, committed to step out of a really good church, a very healthy church, uh, and to leave some of uh, the things that they have going on at Renaissance to join us in the mission. And so we're very grateful for these things. Uh, let us now turn to uh, this text here in Exodus chapter 19. And I want to start with this question, how do you view God? Do you view God as one who is distant? and harsh, with lots of rules and, and severe judgment if you break any of those rules? Or do you view God as one who is loving and kind and generous? I think some of this might have to do with your upbringing. Maybe you went to a church as a kid and you heard a preacher regularly preach passages about the judgment of God. Or maybe you heard one who only taught about the love of God. Maybe it has to do with uh, the parents uh, in the home that you grew up in. Maybe if you grew up in a Christian home, maybe uh, your parents would often say things like, well, you better obey or God will strike you down. Maybe your parents often spoke to you about God's goodness. Maybe your view of God is dependent upon your life's experiences. Maybe you've experienced some trauma in life, and so you harbor this bitterness in your heart towards God. Maybe you've had a good life and you're filled with thanks towards God. Think uh, as you go along in your Christian journey, you might hear some describe God in this way. The God of the Old Testament is a God to be feared. But the God of the New Testament is a God of love. Sort of like there's this bipolar God. 
might even hear some sometimes make a division between God the Father of the Old Testament and Christ the Son of the New Testament. How should we rightly think about God? Well, today we're going to compare and contrast an Old Testament example with a New Testament example. Exodus 19 with Hebrews chapter 12. And we will see today that God's character remains the same. He is both a loving God worthy of our gratitude, but he is also to be feared and worthy of our respect. And we will see how these contrasting ideas fit together. Let us first look at Exodus chapter 19. We see in this story that uh, Amber just read that uh, this is the third month after they left Egypt. And here they come and they set up camp in front of the mountain. There this large mountain stands before them. And this is the exact spot where God had told Moses prior to him going back to Egypt in chapter three with the burning bush. He said, soon you guys will leave Egypt and you will worship me at this very spot. And here they are three months after the great exodus at that very mountain. And Moses goes up the mountain and there he hears from God. You see in verses four through six, he says, you yourselves, this is God speaking to him. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." Here God is establishing a covenant with the people, this sacred alliance. And he says, if you obey me, I will do this for you. And in these verses, we see God's love on display. We see his goodness. He reminds them of how he delivered them from bondage. He says that he is like an eagle, this giant bird taking its young under its wings. He calls them his treasured possession. Note this phrase. He he says something that he will do for them. He says, I will make you into a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. We've seen so far in the story of the Bible that the priests were the ministers to God. This last week, Pastor Rob taught about Jethro, the priest of Midian. Not yet in the Bible established the priesthood of the Levites. We will see this soon to come. But he's telling them, he says, all the people will be ministers to God. You will collectively be holy. And then Moses goes down the mountain and he tells these things to the elders. And in verse eight, the people respond to Moses. They say, hey, we're in, let's do this. And then Moses goes back up the mountain and he reports these things to God. And then God says to Moses, he says this, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. God is telling Moses, he says, 
I'm going to speak with great power because when I do, then the people will believe your words and they will trust that you are God's spokesman. And then God tells Moses this. He says, hey, you've got three days to get yourself ready for this meeting with God. I want you to consecrate yourselves. I want you to be purified, to be set apart. There's two different things that God tells them to do to to get ready for this meeting. First thing he says, I want you to wash your clothes. I want you to get your robes nice to come and worship God. And then the second thing that we see in verse 15, he says, I want you to be sexually pure for the next three days. And then Moses sets boundaries around the mountain. It's like uh, caution tape. Sets up a whole bunch of do not enter signs. He tells him, he says, hey, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, I want the people to come to the base of the mountain, but do not set foot on the mountain or you will die. I think a more appropriate sign to put in place would be trespassers will be shot on sight. And then Moses comes down the mountain and he tells these things to the people. And then they begin to prepare for this meeting. I can just imagine the people frantically preparing for this meeting with God. Me and my wife, we have three young boys, and I can just imagine the mom is stressing about keeping their kids' clothes clean as they wait for this meeting. And then, in three days, the power of God is put on full display. We read this dramatic description. There's thunder and there's lightning. And across the sky is this dark cloud. And then out in the distance, they hear the sound of a trumpet. It says that the people are scared. They stand in fear of God. And then we see that there's fire and smoke and the earth begins to shake. It's like a volcano is about to erupt. And the sound of the trumpet gets louder and louder and louder. And then God answers Moses in the thunder. Just imagine that you being scared when this bad storm comes through Pittsburgh and you hear this loud clap of thunder and everyone in your home jumps because it sounds like that thunder was just right outside your window. This is what the people felt in that moment. And then God calls for Moses to come back up the mountain. Surely at this point, he's wore out from all the climbing. Say, hey, can we just put like a chairlift on this mountain? And then check this out. As soon as he gets there, God tells him, hey, I want you to go back down. And I want you to warn the people to stay back. And Moses is like, I've already warned the people. He says, no, I want you to tell them again, because if they don't listen, they will die. I want you to consecrate this whole mountain. And then right after this scene, then we go right into chapter 20, where God begins to give Moses the law. God gives him the Ten Commandments and the laws for worship and the laws for how to live. So what's going on in Exodus 19? Well, there's three things that are important that I want you to take note of. 
The first thing is that the people are not holy. The people are not holy. They're told to wash their clothes and abstain from sexual relations. They're told that they can't just haphazardly come into the presence of God Almighty. God is perfectly holy and the people are not. And if something unholy comes into the presence of a perfectly holy God, it must die. And so because of this, the second thing I want you to see is that there's a separation between God and the people. A separation between God and the people. Even with the steps that they took, these were still not good enough. God is still up at the top of the mountain and the people are at the bottom. And we see in verses 21 through 23 that there's this hierarchy that's established. The people as a whole can come to the base of the mountain if they've been purified, but they're not holy enough to go any further. And then the priest can come a little higher if they are purified, but they're not holy enough to go further than that. And then Moses and Aaron can come to the top to hear directly from God, but they still can't see God face to face. God is hidden in the dark cloud. And later we will see that even those two guys are not holy men. This is the same sort of separation that we will later see in the establishment of the tabernacle. There's a, a hierarchy of who can enter. Some can come into the courtyard and then others can come into the holy place but only the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies and only once a year. And even in that situation, they would tie a rope around him in case he did it in an unworthy manner. They could drag his dead body out of there. And we see in the tabernacle, because of all of this, they set up some tall fences and thick curtains separating each section from the next. And because of this separation between God and the people, they needed Moses to be the mediator. This is the third thing I want you to see, that Moses is the mediator. What's up with all this up, down, up, down, up, down? Moses is acting as the go-between for the two parties in this alliance. We will see in the very next chapter, Exodus chapter 20, after the Ten Commandments are given, it says this. Now when, starting in verse 18, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Say, hey, hey Moses, we are scared of God. We want you to mediate for us. And so in these three things that I just pointed out, we see from Mount Sinai, first God's love on display with the Exodus and God's promises to them. But we see that God is to be feared. And God is to be given great reverence. So how do these things compare and contrast with the God of the New Testament? In Hebrews chapter 12, the author is teaching us about Exodus 19. 
And he compares the Jewish people at Mount Sinai with the Christians at another mountain, one he calls Mount Zion. I invite you to flip in your Bibles there to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. See, after Paul's letters, you'll see 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then the book of Hebrews. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. This is what it says, starting in verse 18. He says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, a storm, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words may the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given, even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that even Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is exactly what we just learned about from Exodus 19. But notice what he says at the beginning of that. He says, this is not us. This is not the Christians. He says about us, notice the contrast here, picking back up in verse 22. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Here he's describing a very different situation than the one at Mount Sinai. He's talking about this new reality, this new kingdom. Look in this description, there's seven things that I want to point out here. The first is that they've come to Mount Zion, this heavenly place. The second thing that I want you to see is that here there's an innumerable angels. Some of your translations might use the word myriads of angels. This is a term that just meant millions of angels, or we might see elsewhere millions of millions of angels. And it says that here in this moment, there's a joyous gathering, not one where they're standing there shaking in fear, but they're celebrating. The third description, he says, is that there's an assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's a very loaded phrase. This word assembly means it's like a church gathering. And the firstborn, this is a phrase that's used to describe the one who's the heir. And it says they're enrolled or or they're registered in heaven. Another way of saying these things is it's the church of those who are heirs, whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the fourth thing that we see is that they've come to God, the judge. They're there standing at at the judgment seat of the same Old Testament God who expects perfection. But notice the next phrase. It says, and also there are the spirits of the righteous 
made perfect. It's talking about those who have died before us. And how are they righteous? Because they kept the law perfectly? Look at the sixth thing. It's because of Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Just like Moses was previously the go-between. Listen, the beauty of this new covenant is that we no longer need a priest to mediate between us and God. The Bible says that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And listen, I've spent a lot of time with Pastor Rob, and I attest that he is a godly man. But we do not need Rob or any other human to mediate with God for us. Christ alone is the high priest who pleads our case. It would be as if at Mount Sinai that God comes to Moses and he relieves him of his duty. And then God himself comes down the mountain and greets the people and then brings the people up into his presence himself. Jesus is God in the flesh who came down to the earth. And the Bible tells us that at the moment that he died, the thick curtain in the temple that separated us from God was torn in two. And now God is living within us through his Holy Spirit, as if we are the holy temple of God. And this new covenant, this is not like Sinai, built on a bunch of rules. It is built on trust in Jesus and his finished work. And the seventh description that we see here is that the sprinkling of Jesus' blood Later, we will see at Sinai that this covenant is sealed with the blood of sacrifices. And Jesus' blood is the seal of the new covenant and our relationship with God. And so we see through these things that the author is connecting Mount Sinai from the past with this new heavenly reality. And this is happening right now and will also happen forevermore. In the book of Revelation, John sees a glimpse into heaven and he records the same things that Hebrews is talking about. Notice the connection between this heavenly mountain and Mount Sinai. In Revelation chapter five, It tells us about all these who are there worshiping Jesus. And it says this, and they, in verse, uh, chapter five, verse nine and 10, it says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your, and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. In this new alliance, it's not just for Israel as an exclusive nation, like at Mount Sinai, but it includes all people from every tribe 
and nation around the entire world. And in this new kingdom, it says that we will all be priests. We are all ministers to God. This is a quote from Exodus 19 that was never fulfilled. We all have the priestly right to come straight into the presence of the Almighty God. And for those who are in Jesus, Peter says, we have become a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I invite you now, if, if you're in the room with someone else, to look at the person next to you. And if they are a Christian, tell them this. Say, you are a priest. Say, look at that person and say, you are a holy saint. saint. Remember what the book of Hebrews said about the angels and festal gathering? Look at what Revelation says in chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. It says, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This is not a scene of fear and terror. This is one of celebration and rejoicing. Oh, but just like the people at Mount Sinai had to wash their clothes to be purified for worship, look what Revelation goes on to say in chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It said, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And how did these believers get their clothes clean? Well, verse 14, it says, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They've made them white in the blood of the lamb. See, God did not change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The fear and respect that he deserves did not change. What has changed is the status of the people. They are no longer tainted and unholy. They've been washed clean not with Tide laundry detergent and bleach, but with the blood of the lamb. So how do we respond to these things? There's two takeaways that I want us to see from Hebrews chapter 12. The first takeaway is do not reject this message. Do not reject this message. Look at what he says in Hebrews 12, 25. He says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, 
But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. This is a lot of words there, but this is what he's saying. Hey, in this new kingdom, this new reality that it has been declared by Jesus. And it has been attested to by those who witnessed him. And God has proved it with signs and miracles and his Holy Spirit. He says, do not reject these things. And then in verse 26, he quotes the prophet Haggai. There, the prophet Haggai is speaking about the destruction of the temple that was to come. And he's prophesying about this future temple that cannot be shaken. In Hebrews here, he's saying, he's telling them this. He says, what has been made by hands, this earthly temple, it is passing away. Don't put your hope in that. Make sure that you are enrolled in heaven. Don't put your hope in things that are shaken, in religious duties or, or maybe the possessions or status of this physical world. Put your hope in the unshakable that will endure forever. I call on you today to put your trust in Jesus who has been raised from the dead, conquering this present world. And for those of you who are Christians, this is why we endure hardship. This is why we deny our flesh. This is why we press on in faith because we know that these momentary light afflictions are just preparing us for an incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is just temporary, but the unseen, Mount Zion, the kingdom of the living God, this is eternal. And the second thing that we learn from this is to be grateful and reverent worship. To be grateful and reverent worship. Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29, he says this, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence or fear and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We will soon see in our journey through Exodus at the incident with the golden calf that our God is literally a consuming fire for those who reject him. Jesus spoke often of an unquenchable fire that will burn up the weeds, those who are not in him. The same God at Sinai is the same God of this new covenant, and he still should be feared. God is not one to be treated flippantly, to be mocked and cursed and rejected and think that you're going to get off good. One day we will all stand before God, who is the judge. Oh, but the message of the Bible is one of good news. For those 
who are in Christ, our own perfection is not what allows us to boldly approach the throne of God. We acknowledge that we have screwed up and fall short. We affirm that we deserve God's judgment and wrath. But because of Christ, God's wrath is satisfied. We don't get what we deserve. Instead, we get God's goodness and his love and his great patience. We get an unearned gift. It's called grace. And this produces within us a gratitude that liberates us from the fear of God's judgment and wrath. And what's our correct response? Will we willingly submit our lives to him out of thankfulness? And we joyfully worship him as Lord with reverence and awe. And in doing so, we join with all the angels and all the believers before us in worship of the Lamb who was slain. Let us pray. Oh God, we stand in fear of you. You are the